I'm not pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work at home edition. So uh, often when I'm at home, I like to do interviews. So today I have Andrew Brown, uh, the co-set design lead of Murders at Karlov Manor. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Mark. How's it going? Going well. Okay, so in this set, um, the way it worked was um, I co-led the vision design with Mark Gottlieb. Uh, and then you co-led the set design with Mark Gottlieb. So Mark was kind of in the middle. Um, I, I sort of did the very beginning, Mark kind of did the middle, and you kind of did the end. So um, we're going to pick up the story sort of when you first come to the set. So when when did you first come to the set? When was your first part, you know, when did you join set design? Uh, right at the start, um, I took a, a lot of looks at the set during, like, vision design, and then... But I actually fully got onto it once kind of like set design started and uh, Mark Golly was the lead of the team. That's when I first started. Okay, so what are your earliest memories of Murders of Carl Manor? Um, the first thing I remember is uh, trying to figure out how to make collect evidence work a lot better. Um, I think when we... oh. First was collect evidence, and then we talked a lot about what should be on the morphs or, you know, what we were talking about with um, face downs. Because for a long time, we we didn't want to do morph again because uh, just especially in the new play booster world, a three mana two two is just a little bit too weak. So we uh, futzed around with like a lot of different setups with like, I think we tried three two at one point. Yeah, we tried three we tried two. two three. Yeah, yeah. We just tried a lot of different things for the morphs, and I think that was the first. That's the first memory is uh, figuring out what to do with the morphs. And I, be I believe Vision Design actually handed off uh, the two mana two War two. That was handed off from Vision Design. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And then um, we did that for a while, and we liked it. And then <clears throat> while we still had some time, we're like, let's try out three two for a couple drafts. Mm -hmm. And then um, we learned that wasn't right. So then we went back to the two two with War two. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the things, just a little heads up for the audience, Cons of Tarkir, when it brought Morph back, actually spent a whole bunch of time trying to figure out if there was something else. And in the end, we ended up sticking with Morph, but, like, these conversations happened last time we were looking at doing Morph. Like, everybody likes Morph, but, you know, it was made many, many years ago in which the the curve of creatures, you know, the power level of creatures has just gotten better. So 3-mana 2-2 two -two might have been made sense, you know, back in whatever... Uh, you know, when Onslaught came out, it was long ago, so. Yeah, my uh, <clears throat> my favorite part about the Ward 2 on the morph, or on the disguises, is that, to me, it makes the most fun part of morph happen more, which is the unflipping, because they're just a little bit more resilient to removal. So I think it's a lot better when more of the games have just more of these morphs flipping up. So that's my favorite thing about it. Yeah, it is interesting. Uh, I, I actually played in the... We had our employee pre-release yesterday, uh, and it it mattered so much that they were too. I kept trying to kill them, and I couldn't kill <laughs> yeah. them, and I'm like, you know, yeah, you're, you're correct. That it just sort of helps them survive, and that one of the things I was talking about is you want the gameplay, you want the correct way to play to be the fun way, and yeah, tur right. turning them up is, that's the fun part about it. You know, the face down 2-2 is not the most fun part about it. It's the, ha-ha, it's, it's this thing, so. Okay, so Disguise was there. Um, also, the thing that forever will throw me is we called it Cloak Forever, uh, and then they changed yeah, the disguise, did, yes. and the manifest version got called Cloak, so I will... If I call it Cloak during the, the thing, guys, uh, I mean disguise, this is what we called it forever. Okay, so let's talk yep. a little bit about Collect Evidence. 
My memory when mm-hmm. we handed off the file from Vision to Set Design was it was a locked number, I believe. I, I think it was six, right? Right, yeah. Um, so the locked number was six. Um, I kept that true throughout all of Common, mm-hmm. but at higher rarities, um, some of the collect evidence numbers can get lower or higher. So there are a couple rares with like collect evidence eight, and there are some uncommons with like collect evidence three. Um, I thought it was pretty crucial to keep it at a set number for common so that players can like develop a heuristic around what they should play around or what they should expect. But at higher rarities, it goes kind of more up and down. Yeah, that's one of the things we always look at whenever we make something is do we lock the number in or do we put a number on it? Meaning is there some flexibility? Um, these days we tend to err a little more toward having the knob, you know, having the number. Um, but if we really, really think we're never going to use anything but number, we try not to use a number. We try to just <laughs> lock it in. So, um, yeah. so, so here's an interesting question. So, collect evidence. One of the things about collect evidence is um, there's synergy with. I, I, I want to walk through the synergies, but there's synergy with disguise. <laughs> so let's so let's yes. talk a little bit about that. About one of the things we liked about it was disguise lets you get way bigger numbers than you normally would get into your graveyard. Yeah, like one of the most common designs on a uh, disguised creature is just like a six mana creature with bigger stats, maybe flying and disguise, right? So normally when you're playing in limited, both of you will play a disguise on turn three and then they might trade. When they trade, you just get a six cost creature into your graveyard, which just enables collect evidence six super easily. And I think that's one of the like hidden gems with how these mechanics kind of inter interplay and interlock it's really nice so while we're talking collect and uh, collect evidence synergies um i'm going to talk about the addition of the split cards uh because yes for the audience uh split cards when they're in any zone mm-hmm. other than on the stack um are the combined uh, mana values that you count both of them so that's very obviously helpful for collect evidence yeah one of the rules we set for the split cards there are five split cards in the set is that one version of each split of each side of the split card is always six mana, so that players aren't confused when they see collect evidence six. They'll always know, yes, I can do this because this card is always six mana. So all of the split cards have one side that's always six mana. And the, uh, they have hi- they're hybrid. Why why, why are yes. they done in hybrid? Why are the split cards all hybrid? Um, the split cards are in hybrid be- so that they can just kind of go into more decks. And I think they add a lot of depth with, um, you know, playing like a three-color deck. You know, if you can have access to all of them, it could work. And I also like the fact that, you know, because you can play the early side, you can also then use it for Collect Evidence 6, too. So the the split cards do a ton of work in this set. Yeah, and that's something to always be aware of, is when you do something like Collect Evidence... We want to make... I mean, the natural game will get you there. You know, you'll cast cards, creatures will die. Right. Um, but it's nice when you're doing a graveyard resource mechanic to have some means by which to get stuff in the graveyard. Or, in this case, make things a little bit bigger. Oh, so let's talk a little bit about collect evidence as a... Just from a sure. theoretical standpoint. Um, we've done a lot of graveyard resource before, but usually it's one for one. Remove so many cards mm-hmm. from the graveyard. And this does something a little different where it cares about mana value. So can you talk a little bit about the play design? Like what that offers play design, the fact that you... It's looking for something a little bit different. Yeah, uh, it's an it's an interesting problem. It's one that we don't really come across very often. Um, 
the uh, <laughs> we talked a lot about the collect evidence economy in play design, basically, um, which basically just means that like you know more the more you add mana or the more you subtract mana affects a larger swath of cards than normal. Um, so it was an interesting problem, kind of like figuring out when adding a mana, when taking off a mana is the correct uh, solution. Um, it's also funny enough to like, um, we really liked um, cost reduction on collect evidence because that meant you could put more collect evidence cards in your deck. So like, for example, there's a three mana, uh, sorry, there's a four mana bite card. I think it's called take a bite out of crime, something like that. Um, it's a common mark. Uh, take a bite out of crime? Yeah. Uh, let's see. I do not see called Take a Bite Out of Crime. It's a blue common? Uh, green common, green common. It's a fight spell. Oh, okay. It was called on. that for a long time. <laughs> uh, yeah, hold on. I, one of the things that's hard for us, just for the audience to remember, is what we know the cards as is, is usually not what they're printed as. And so we'll play something yeah. for months and months and months. Um, okay, hold on. I'm gonna, You talk about this and I will find the card where you talk about it. So go ahead. Talk, talk about the card. Okay, sure. So, yeah, so it's a collect evidence card where you can cost reduce it by collect collecting evidence. So a way that's great with, you know, putting more of those cards in your deck is that it artificially has a higher mana cost, but it's actually a lot cheaper when you actually factor in the fact you can collect evidence. So it's it's effectively pushing down your curve while also maintaining higher numbers for collect evidence. Okay, I found it. It's called Bite Down on Crime. Oh, so yeah. close, so close, uh, so, so it's close. Three, three and a green sorcery. As an additional cost to cast a spell, you may collect evidence six. This spell costs two less to cast if evidence was collected. Uh, target creature you control gets plus two plus zero until end of turn. It deals damage equal to its power to target creature you don't control. Yep. So normally you play for two mana, but when it goes to your graveyard, it costs four mana, which makes your future evidence a lot easier to collect. Okay. So let's 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 talk, let's talk about some other uh, parts of the set. Um, okay. So mm -hmm. next up. Let's talk about um, suspected. So you suspect okay, a creature, cool. and then a creature is suspected, and when it's suspected, it yep. gets uh, menace and camp lock. So yep. How, how? I mean, I know we, we made we made suspected in in vision design, but um, and we did all, the reason we made it was we were really, we wanted to say you suspect you know things got suspected and you had suspects yeah. and stuff like that. But what from a balance standpoint, what were the challenges of balancing suspect, suspect and suspected creatures? Yeah, so suspected is really hard to balance um, because it does create that game state where it's like you turn one cart, one game piece into only offense, essentially, right? So normally creatures can attack and block. This makes the creatures better at attacking and worse at blocking. So it goes very far into one direction. Um, obviously, that can make balancing things really hard because you have to, you know, essentially take out <laughs> an entire functionality uh <laughs> the entire functionality of blocking. Um, so we had to definitely slow things down while also speeding things up um, because, you know, suspected really accelerates the game. Um, and one thing that we learned in play design, originally there were a lot of cards that suspected your opponent's things. Um, we definitely lowered that number a lot. I think there's only a couple cards that do that now um, just because it was creating too many game states where it was like kind of two ships passing in the night. Because when like you suspect their stuff and your stuff is suspected, blocking is just super, super hard. So um, we definitely toned down the numbers of uh, you being able to suspect your opponent's creature. We still wanted to, to be around, but we just wanted to reduce the numbers. 
Um, so when, when it, that's just sort of curious, when, when something like suspect happens, so suspect is a value that sticks around. Um, mm-hmm. There's not a lot. We are, we're very careful when we do something that lasts like for the rest of the game. Like we, most of what we do is until the end of turn. Yeah. Um, so is there something special you have to do with stuff that, that lasts longer? I'm sort of, is there, it, do we have to handle that differently? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I think step one is always figuring out how you're going to represent it. Um, so in Murders of Carlisle Manor, we have the punch-out tokens that have the suspected um, word on them. So that makes it a lot easier to represent it in game states. Just put the little uh, bead on it, I guess, or cut out on it, and then it's, it's suspected, and yeah. then you know that it... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no... Um, so secondarily, it also puts a lot of stress on, you know, just like tracking and maintaining the board state. Um, so like I was saying earlier, we kind of reduce the overall ass fan of suspected so that only a few things can be suspected at once because it's more fun when half of your board is suspected rather than your entire board. Cause then it makes that game state of like where, oh, I'm only attacking and I'm not defending and it just doesn't get as interesting. Okay. Next up, um, so we we did a lot of stuff that was very flavorful, like collect evidence. We did suspected. We did uh, another one was cases. Uh, we liked the idea yep. that we we wanted to call cards case of the bloody blah, and that you had something you right. had to solve. So these were super right. challenging. So let, let's talk about the evolution of cases. Yeah. Um. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out a bold statement, Mark. Are you ready for it? Okay. All right. Over the years, I've been here for seven and a half years now. We've tried so many different variations of quest cards or like, you know, you got to get the MacGuffin. You got to go through all these hoops to get this cool thing and then people are going to love it. And then it was always just too hard, not rewarding enough. You know, the, the balance there is so difficult. But I think cases are the first time where I'm like really happy with like top to bottom. You know, you can put in your deck and be happy even if you don't solve it. The quest it puts you on is pretty fun, and the reward feels rewarding. So it's kind of like hitting all three of those difficult things that you have to get right into the right position. So um, my bold statement, cases are the best quest cards, quest style cards we've ever made. Yeah, real quick, I just want to fill the audience in a little bit of history of this. So an original Zendikar, so a while ago, um, we made the original version of Quest, and the Quest we were trying to do at the time was you had three things you had to do, and once you did those three things, then you got this reward, and we never made them work, it just was it was too much, um, and then when Zendikar Rising happened, we tried to bring them back and said, can we do them this time? It didn't work, we didn't do them, uh, and then Streets of New Capenna, we had a version we called Crimes, but they were basically, uh, you know, Quest-themed toward, uh, you know, Demon Mobster World, um, and those didn't work. In fact, those were in until very late in the process and got pulled. Those were in for a while. Yeah. They were in for, let's just say, longer than they should have been. <laughs> um, but anyway, I think that, so the, the secret sauce, I think, uh, of wh- how we got these to work was, one, we just had to do one thing. Just, they just do one thing. Yeah. You have one just goal. Just do one thing. <laughs> um, and the second thing, I think, is that the, the edge of the battlefield effect is strong enough that, like, it makes sense to, especially in limited, it makes sense to put the, the card right. in your deck so that, like, right, even if you don't solve it, it's not worth, like, the early quest, like, didn't even do anything, to, you know, here's a nothing card, <laughs> right, and, and yeah. then you have to do three things, and then, yeah, it was a big reward, but you just never got there, so, like, it just, it wasn't worth putting in your deck. Yeah. 
Also, I remember in um, Eldraine vision design, there were some quests as well. Oh, yes. Do you remember right. those? Yes, I remember those as well. Yeah, your knights were yeah, on they were all one. <laughs> yeah, they were all one mana. You scried two when they all entered the battlefield, and then you just had to, like, try and do this super uber hard quest that you would never do, and this reward was, like, ridiculous or whatever, right? Yeah. So it was, like... Again, the cases kind of balance each thing out into a nice little bucket where all of them feel kind of flat, where it's like the the base card is fine, the quest it sets you on is doable, and the reward feels like you got a reward for achieving the quest, right? So it's hit, it hits all those pretty well. A lot of those other implementations have like wildly different um, kind of scales for each of those. So what are the challenges with balancing quests? Uh, not quests, uh, with cases. But what is the challenge? Like, what do you have to do when you're trying to make sure the cases work properly? Like, what's the balance issue? Yeah, so I think um, generally with quest cards, the first thing that I always like, or just generally that play design likes to look at, is we start with the reward. Because that's the cool thing about a quest card, right? Like, I'm not playing quest cards for ETB cantrip or whatever, right? That's not super exciting. So it's generally good to start with what is the cool thing first and then kind of work in reverse towards um, the entire card, right? So like, um, uh, pick a case, Mark. We can we can talk about a case. Okay, we can talk about, how about uh, the case? Let's see. Uh, do you want to do a common case or an uncommon case? Uh, there are no common cases. Oh, They're okay, we'll do an uncommon case. So we have the uh, let's see. How about the case of the pilfered proof? Case of okay. the pilfered the, the, proof. The, 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 that the, is... I'll let me read it so the audience knows. Uh, yeah, one yeah, in yeah. the white, whenever a detective enters the battlefield under your control, and whenever a detective you control is turned face up, put a plus one, plus one counter on it. To solve, you control three or more detectives, and then when solved, if one or more tokens would be created under your control, those tokens create those tokens plus a clue token, or those tokens plus a clue token are created instead. Yeah. Um, right. So we started with, we want a detective case because that's really flavorful case. <laughs> it would be a miss to not have one of those. And then we started with like, what are the cool, what are, what are cool white uncommon things that we can put on an uncommon that seem kind of rare? Because like generally when you're making an uncommon case, you want the reward to look pretty rare. So we, you know, we eventually landed at, you know, Every time you do a thing, you create an extra clue. It feels pretty detective-y, right? So then we kind of worked backwards from there, being like, okay, so how do we wanna how do we wanna solve this? <laughs> really solve if you know what I mean. <laughs> um, so we're like, okay, we want we want people to play detectives. So, you know, having a threshold for detectives makes a lot of sense. And then we worked all the way to the front where it's like, okay, so we know that we want you to control detectives. We know that the reward is going to be more clues. How do we want to do that? So because the reward is more card advantage, we don't want to give you card advantage. And because the condition is have more detectives, we wanted something that let your detectives live longer, which is more plus one, plus one counters. So when you look at it, all of it kind of like congeals together into something that helps you, you know, solve the case, and be happy when you actually have solved it. And this is a good example of, of what we call a build around. So at Uncommon, we like to make cards that if you open this up in your first pack and you see it and you take it, it gives you a quest to go on 
a quest I have. Yep. Um, it, it gives you the thing that when you're drafting to sort of think and draft around. And this particular card right. only rewards you for detectives, but the everything about the card says you have to be playing detective. So, you know, you wouldn't play the card if you don't have enough detectives in your deck. Yeah, and the blue-white theme in this set is detective typal. Oh, and another thing that I'll point out is one of the themes because of detective typal is one of the tokens that you make in this set that's a, a frequent token is there's a white and blue 2-2 detective. And so yep. this plays nicely in the detective deck because the reward is you get clues for, for um, making tokens, but hey, this set makes lots and lots of tokens, and so that helps. And so yep. when you investigate, you get a second token. When you make a detective, you get a, set, you know, you get a clue token. So it, it's all synergistic. Yep. Um, one thing I realized, we talked about Disguise, but we, we glossed over stuff, so I'm going to go back to Disguise. Um, sure, sure. Uh, so not only did we do Disguise, uh, we also did Cloak. And so yes. uh, that is, of all the things in the set, we did not hand over Cloak. We handed over Disguise, but Vision did not put Cloak <laughs> in the set. So let's talk a little bit about the adding of Cloak. Yeah, so it's really only on, I think, two or three cards. I think it's on five, five cards. cards. I believe it's on five cards. Five cards. Yes. Um, so I think the main ones that come to my mind are the green rare. Uh, the green rare is one called up. Hide in Plain Sight. Uh, three yep. of the green, sorcery. Look at the top five cards of your library. Cloak two of them and put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. To cloak a card, put it on the battlefield face down. It's a 2-2 creature with War 2. Turn it face up at any time for its mana cost if it's a creature card. Yeah. Um, so we really enjoyed... Um, kind of the build-arounds for cloaking a card. Um, we have a... We tried to make a standard deck where this is kind of the marquee card where you can cloak some creatures. Uh, it's funny enough, uh, we, the internal nickname of this card was Be Cloco <laughs> after Collected Company, which people normally called Coco, so we called it Be Cloco. <laughs> good jokes, good jokes. Anyways, anyways, right? Uh so um, we tried to make a deck around this, and this is kind of like one of the marquee cards that let that lets you kind of get more cloaks onto the battlefield. Um, I think Zagana is the other card that we kind of uh, shot for this strategy. I don't know if you can pull that one up. Yeah, I can. Um, so let's see. Zagana is... Zagana or... Uh, Zagana. Vanifar is the one that cloaks. Vanifar! Oh, I'm, I'm so, thinking of the wrong guild leaders. Yeah, so Vanifar Evolved Enigma, two green-blue... A legendary creature, Elf Ooze Wizard, 3-4. At the beginning of combat in your turn, choose one. Cloak a card from your hand, or put a plus one, plus one counter on each colorless creature you control. Yep. And that's one of the other key cards for this deck that we're kind of positioning for uh, standard, or you can take your F&M. Uh, super fun. Yeah, so just for the audience, um, last time we brought back, when we did Morph last time, was in Concert Arcura Block. The second set of Conscious of Care Block introduced Manifest, uh, and Cloak is uh, the disguised version of Manifest, which is taking... Normally when you manifest, you normally manifest the top card of your library, although I, I guess maybe you can manifest other places. Um, and then it did exactly what Cloak does, except it doesn't have the, the War yep. 2. So. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about something that uh, I want to talk through disguise. So Eric Lauer... Um, Yep. When he made Kinds of Tarkir, uh, kind of, Morph first showed up in Onslaught, uh, and there was a, a fatal flaw uh, in it. Um, <laughs> the, the classic example was, in common, there were two red creatures, one of which you always wanted to block, and one of which you never wanted to block. 
and they both cost the same to, un to unmorph. So, like, you never knew, you had no idea what was going on, and you would get blown out in a lot of games. So, Eric created yep. what he called uh, the Rule of Five. I think, is that the official name for it, for the, the Five Rule? Five Mana Morph Rule. Five Mana Morph Rule. Uh, so, the way this rule works is that if I'm, if you, if I attack with a morph creature, or a uh, face down creature, disguised in the set, and you block with your disguised creature, and I don't have five mana to cast, that you won't be able to turn your creature face up and eat my creature without me destroying your creature. Now, right. you, you can trade, you can bounce. You could lose your little, your, your morphed up creature could be, be lost to the big creature. Maybe you have a really good effect that makes it a 1 1, but a cool effect happens. Um, but it won't eat your creature. Um, and right. Can we talk a little bit about the importance? It, it, this rule does a lot for gameplay. Can we talk a little bit about this rule? Yeah, this, this rule is really important um, for gameplay because of the kind of fail case you were talking about earlier with those two onslaught cards. Um, and it also, like we were talking about earlier, it just makes the gameplay more about the morphs flipping up, which is the most fun part about morph gameplay overall. Um, so I'd say the big difference between Cons of Tarkir and this implementation of morph is that there are more cheaper morph costs than in Cons of Tarkir. So in Cons, most of the common and uncommon morphs were just kind of like big, doofusy vanilla creatures or whatever, right? But in murders, there's a lot more cheaper flip-ups that let your creatures trade, but kind of give you a little small advantage. Um, so I think one of the good good examples is um, if you could look up the hybrid blue-red common disguise creature. Okay, give me a second. No um, worries. Okay, the hybrid, let's see. Uh... Blue, blue, red. You said, blue, red. Yeah, blue, red. Um, like gadgeteer or something. Uh, hold on, I'm looking. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm. I have the file in front of me, but I'm trying to find it. Uh, what, what's a gadgeteer? You think? Uh, yeah. uh there's for gadgeteer, but that's a mono blue card, so that's not what you mean. Um, yeah, yeah. Um. Let me find explain, the name. explain what the card does, and I will find it while you talk about it. Uh, so, so the card is a 4-mana uh, 3-2. When it enters or is flipped up, you create a Thopter token, and it has Disguise. And then you can undisguise it for Blue-Red Hybrid, Blue-Red Hybrid. So essentially... Oh, yeah, I found it. What this Gadget Technician is what it's called. Gadget Technician. Yeah, I was close. I was close. Um, the, the, so the, I think let me read it real the, quickly, for, and then we can discuss it. Yeah. Gadget Technician, two blue, red, three, two, Goblin Artificer. Uh, when Gadget Technician enters the battlefield, it's turn face up, create a 1-1 one, one, colorless Thopter Artifact Creature token with flying, disguise, hybrid blue, red, hybrid blue, red. Okay, go ahead. Right. Yeah, so I find these a lot more interesting. Um, obviously, the cons gameplay was great for its time, but I think when you introduce more of these kind of cheaper pseudo-value um, morphs, the game gets a lot more interesting. Like, I can attack with my disguise on turn four, and it's this creature, and if you block with your disguise, I can spend some mana, get a Thopter token, and then our creatures still trade. So it adds a little bit of extra layer and depth in terms of like, oh, it's not just always going to be two twos bounce uh, killing each other. It's going to be kind of like this mini game of, oh, you could get a tiny bit of value. Something else could happen. To me, it adds more 
suspense to the whole uh, <laughs> equation of uh, morphs fighting. Yeah, another interesting thing that I want to talk about real quickly is, so we decided we were going to set this on Ravnica, and so being on Ravnica meant we had access to some Ravnican things. Uh, so the hybrid in disguise is really interesting, and that's a, a new thing. Talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, we wanted to be a Ravnica set, which means obviously you want to have a lot of multicolor commons. Um, so to solve that, all of those, all of the common multicolor disguise creatures have two colors in their casting cost, but they're all hybrid to flip up. So that means that more decks can have access to the unflipping ability, right? Because you can always play a disguise for three mana of any color, right? But you can play these, play more of these in different styles of decks because of the hybrid costs to flip up. Yeah, I, it's hybrid is one of those mechanics that's very insidious and for just helping enable a lot of things. Um, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're a pain to design, but they're very useful in helping you know people be able to play more things. So um, it was a neat, like one of the things that's really cool is whenever whenever we've used morph. Like more or, or face, yeah. down, face downward disguise here, but whenever we use that kind of mechanic, it sort of looks at what else is in the environment to take advantage of. Um, and what we learned on cons, which obviously we took advantage of here, is that morph and gold actually inter, inter work very nicely because one of the biggest problems yeah. with gold cards is they get stuck in your hand. And with with uh, face down technology, they don't have to get stuck in your hand. You can play them as face down until you have the means to get them up. So I think that's really cool. Right. So and then, uh, <laughs> go ahead. One more, one more, one more extra thought on that is, um, as always, hybrid always makes things kind of smooth together a lot easier. It makes it easier for players to draft. You have more access to more cards. But I will say they are some of the hardest cards to design for. Oh yes, like, yes. <laughs> yeah, because you have to balance around the fact that they can be one of those colors. So you have to pick an effect that merges both of those colors together which can be extremely difficult yes. in the later stages. Yes, yes. Because, yes, like, yes. obviously, you know, it's super easy to design a hybrid card randomly, right? I just choose one effect, choose chooses the same color effect. Voila, there it is. But when you have 200 other cards that you can't kind of replicate or whatever, it's super hard to kind of, like, figure out the perfect thing to write on the card. So... Hybrid cards, whew, yes. super hard. A useful tool, but yes, it comes at a cost. Um, so we're almost yeah. out of time here. So any last thoughts about just cool things from that we didn't get a chance to talk about that you're proud of from from, uh, from um, Murder um, at Carl's Manor? Uh, I, really, I really love the Surveil lands. Um, so those are in the new wild card slot. Um where in some packs you will actually get a rare dual land that has when this land enters, you surveil one, and they enter tapped, and they also have the basic land types. So they'll be like a Plains Island, right? Um, I'm super excited for these cards in all formats, basically. Like, I think you can play them in modern where you can use fetch lands. They're good in standard because scry lands are good in standard. And I'm super excited for them in commander as well because people also play scry lands there. Why not play Surveillance here? So I'm really excited for all of them. And uh, yeah, they're sweet. And also, surveil, the reason Surveil is extra nice here is because collect evidence and that getting stuff in your graveyard right. is extra valuable. Right. And I just cannot wait to play one on turn one, bin a Grizzle brand, 
play a play a uh, <laughs> play a lotus petal and then play reanimate. It's gonna be great. <laughs> <laughs> the dream. Well, anyway, Andrew, I want to thank you for being with us. It's a lot of fun talking through Murders of Carl of Manor. Yep, thanks for having me, Mark. And everybody else, I am at my desk, so we all know that means it means this is my end of a drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. So I'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>